Welcome to The Dental Brief, the world's direct, right-to-the-point podcast produced to get you the information you need to learn and grow your practice. To learn more about our guests and find links to information discussed on our show, visit our website, dentalbrief.com. On to today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Dental Brief. Today, I'm very excited. We have our first guest who's not in uh, North America. I'm so excited to welcome Dr. Um, Jesse Green on the program. Thanks for coming on today, Dr. Green. Thanks so much for having me, Patrick. It's a real thrill to be here with you. Yeah, thrilled to have you, as I said before. Tell us, tell our audience a little bit. And in, in, uh, You're in Australia, and I'm sure they're going to find out a little bit more about that here in a minute, but tell us how you got into dentistry. Well, it was a lifelong obsession, I suppose. I wanted to be a dentist from about the age of five or six, and then um, all through high school, all I ever wanted to do was dentistry. I was one of those rare kids that knew what they wanted to do all through high school. And so I went off and, and did just that. And then um, the irony of ironies is that I did spend all those years working towards getting into dentistry, did dentistry, enjoyed dentistry, married a dentist, um, have kids as a result of that. Now they you know, hate Easter because it's always such a strict time in our house and um and then uh, now I kind of work slightly outside the practicing world. So uh, we still own a practice, um, but I, I work as a consultant mainly these days. So how, what, made, what helped you make the transition or why did you make the transition to, to practicing um, inside of a clinic to consulting? Well, it's really interesting. Before I did dentistry, when I was at high school, I had a business at high school. We had um, a thing in Australia called Schoolies Week, which I think you guys would have spring break or summer break when you finish high school or college. And you, I see it on the, on the Hollywood movies. You go to Fort Lauderdale and do all those sorts of things. That's my, that's my Hollywood image anyway. I don't know if that's the reality. Sure, right. But we had an equivalent um, one of those sorts of festivals and my parents were none too keen on me attending that. And so necessity is the mother of invention. So I started a business in high school to fund my uh, teenage urges. And, um, and so I started selling jerseys and other paraphernalia at high school and I enjoyed that so much. And what ended up happening is I, I found that I enjoyed business actually even more than I enjoyed dentistry. I love dentistry. I still enjoy dentistry, but I am absolutely passionate about business. And so for me, the consulting piece was the ability to combine two great loves. Yeah. So, um, that's fantastic by the way. And it's, it's, um, I as well had high school business. I think, uh, at multiple high school businesses. Um, so tell us um, in your consulting and your travels and, and what you're doing now, what are some problems that you're, you're, you're hearing um, from dentists and from their team members? In the work that we do, we really come across three big classes of problems. There's obviously lots of variations of that, but if we were to put them into three categories, one would be around profitability. You know, people, you know, either not making what they want to make uh, or taking home what they want to take home. And so, you know, there's a real need to have an architecture around the business and the cash flow. So we talk about two types of cash flow systems, cash flow generation systems, then cash flow management systems to address that particular concern. The second big problem is time. You know, it's one thing to have money. It's an, it's another thing to have time. And, and we find that everyone's busy uh, the world's getting faster and crazier and there's more to do and less time to do it. And we're finding that not just practice owners, but teams are feeling stretched and strained and we need to have some better management around those human resources. And uh, from the business owner's perspective, it's about you know, trying to create a bit more balance in their life so that 
they don't get home at an ungodly hour having missed their kids' dinner time or missed their kids' bedtime because they've been doing dentistry by day and trying to run the practice by night. That's a, a really common problem that we see. Sure. And the third big problem is, frankly, um, I guess team-related issues, you know, whether it's uh, issues between team members or, you know, trying to convey what the owner wants to the team in a clear and concise way so the team know exactly what their job entails. You know, I'm, I'm yet to meet the team member who goes to work deliberately wanting to do a bad job. And yet sometimes issues arise when the practice owner has a conception or an idea about what a great job looks like and the team member has a slightly different idea of what that looks like. And so we need to make sure that there's, you know, communication around what the vision of the practice is, what everyone's role within that practice is, and, of course, being able to manage that process through and manage the human dynamics around the whole team. So... Money, time, and team would be the three big problems that people struggle with, Patrick. Yeah, yeah and these certainly cross uh, borders and cross oceans um, here. And I, think it's, <laughs> I think it's a world problem. I, you know, I so. team, team issues are through the roof, and they're directly connected to profit issues, right? I've heard multiple dentists just in the last couple of weeks tell me, hey, you know, I'm limited on production right now because I just don't have a team to support it. We have the patients, yep. we don't have a team. Um, seems like it's, uh, you know, when did we think we would ever find ourselves in this type of a problem? But um, you know, you're the expert. Let's talk about kind of tackling this problem. Let's start with number one. What are some things that um, outside of that team that we can do to, to um, increase profitability and in practices? So really, I think one of the, the simple and most fundamental things is to be systematic about how you go about generating cash flow. And it's about understanding the money maths. So really, if you look at multinational businesses, everyone spends time, effort, and energy forecasting and predicting what they think is going to happen into the future. And for some reason, um, dental practices seem to not adopt that process. And so I think really taking charge of the finances with a financial forecast or cash flow projections is going to be key. And those projections then feed into the structures that need to be in place to support that cash flow projection. So for instance, you know, you want to look at your appointment schedule, you want to look at how you're using your time, your chair utilization, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then, of course, you want to know your conversion rates for treatment and patient flow and plug leaks in your patient base. You know, most in, in Australia, at least, the big leaks come back from uh, maintenance um, leaks, you know, recall or you know, active maintenance leaks, incomplete treatment, and, of course, cancellations or no-shows not being followed. So we've got to plug the leaks in the database then, of course, we need a dashboard to actually see how that cash flow engine, which we call the money machine, is operating. So it's about beginning the process with a financial forecast and then reverse engineering out from that. And that'll produce the cash flow. But then you've got to manage the cash flow. You know, what are we going to do to you know, increase our revenue? What are we going to do to manage our cost of goods sold, our operating expenses, you know, inventory days, of course, receivables and payables? So we've got to really be clear about that. And then we've got to make sure that we're, you know, really using, uh, you know, a profit first type of system or a variation of that to, to really, you know, make sure we've got the money allocated for the right thing. So, yeah, that's a very quick overview of, you know, the two systems, cash flow generation, cash flow management. But I guess one of the things that we talk about a lot, Patrick, is the, the need for what I call a rainy day bank account. And during COVID, of course, a lot of people found themselves at the sharp end of some, you know, cash flow shortages. Sure. And you know, no surprises. Um, people got a bit concerned and, and stressed about that. And so my view is having a really good cash buffer helps you sleep well at night. So I'd build a nice big pillow of money so you can rest your head on at night and, uh, and hopefully you'll sleep a little bit better around that. 
Yeah. And speaking to that, you know, the rainy day fund, I mean, if you, when you have cash, when you have capital, um, you know, stocked away, you don't have to make decisions that can actually cost you more money in the long run, right? You can actually have some money to, to work on being great as, as opposed to just accepting good. Um, and it also gives you the emotional headspace to make those decisions a bit more rationally as well. So, you know, when you're under some sort of stress or duress, you know, intelligence is low when emotions are high, you know, decision-making tends to suffer when the emotions get into it. So if we can take the emotion out of it a bit by having that cash buffer, yeah. I generally think you'll do well with it. Yep. Very smart. So let's talk about time. So you just listed um, a lot of items that we should be, a lot of tasks that we should be looking um, at and, and taking command of. Seems like that's going to actually add some more time. So how do we free up some, some time here and have the time that we want to do what we we truly always will enjoy doing. What I mean by that, by the way, is when you're 75, 80 years old, I don't think too many people are going to love doing dentistry. They'll probably love spending time with grandchildren, even great grandchildren at that time. So what you love, I think, always changes no matter what your career is. So where do we find that time? How do we do it's it? A really, it's a really good question. Yeah, no one's going to be mm-hmm. on their deathbed wishing they'd just done one more MOD amalgam or composite resin or one more CEREC or whatever, right? So said sure. no one ever. Um, so what do we do? Well, there's a couple of things. The first thing we need to do is take an inventory of how we're spending our time. And what we ask people to do is to categorize their activities and we literally get them to record it. And we would categorize those activities as administrative tasks, clinical tasks, or on the business or business building type of tasks. And we assign a dollar per hour rate to those. And you, know, you might spend, if you're going to hire an admin person, maybe 20 bucks an hour or 30 bucks an hour. I don't know what the wages are in the US, but you know, in Australia, 20, 30 bucks an hour. If you're doing clinical work, you know, five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars an hour, what again, whatever, whatever billing rate you you choose. Sure. But then if if you're doing the business building activities, then it's it's upwards of a thousand dollars an hour. And so what we find is when people take the time to list out how they're actually spending their time, they realize quite quickly that they've got an ability to at least generate six, seven, eight hundred dollars an hour or more, and yet they're spending a significant portion you know, on $30 an hour tasks. So first thing is to become aware of how you're spending your time. Second thing is you look at those admin tasks that everyone will invariably be doing and you've got to decide whether you automate those, whether you delegate those, or whether you just eliminate those altogether. So I think that would be the first step. The second thing would be really putting some time partitioning in place, you know, boundaries around your time, making sure that you've got the time set aside for the high value activities. Um, see all, you know, the, the famous story of the, the pebbles and the sand and the rocks going into the glass jar. If you don't make time for those important things up front, the day will be taken up with inconsequential things. So again, if we couple that first activity with some effective time partitioning, we'll find that there's time in the day to do the important things. If we can delegate, automate or eliminate the less important things and just be, yeah, structured with our time. Those would be the two really big things that I'd really start, you know, thinking about upfront and early. There's obviously other things that you can do, but that would be what I'd be doing. Um, you can look at your time in a whole variety of different ways. There's lots of different time management systems, but quite simply, understand where your time is currently being spent and put some boundaries around it. Yeah, you can't, you know, you know this. You can't manage what you don't measure, right? So yeah, absolutely, uh, mate. You're, yeah, you're absolutely some, on the point. That's some great advice. So. Um, let's talk about team. You know, some tricks. What are, what can we do to, to, you know, I, I'm, and I'm telling you, like, I know multiple dentists right now that are just great people 
that really care about their employees and they just can't find people right now. So how do we, how do we bring people in? How do we keep them? Well, quite frankly, it's marketing, isn't it? We're marketing instead of marketing for patients, we're marketing for talent. Um, And so, you know, I look at all of that as a marketing exercise. And if I want to attract great talent, I've got to be really clear about a couple of things. Firstly, who is my ideal applicant avatar? Have I taken the time to write that down? What are the things that I want from that, you know, from that ideal applicant in terms of their attributes, their skills, and so on and so forth? We create a thing called a talent map around that, which are, you know, the must-haves, the nice-to-haves, and so on and so forth. And, of course, we then try and understand you know, what's going on in the mind of that particular applicant, you know, the fictional applicant at the moment. What are their frustrations with their current employment? What are their hopes and aspirations as they look for new employment? And of course, we craft an ad that speaks to that. It's, it's you know, the old market message medium type of, you know, thing that we talk about in marketing all the time, but we've just applied it to a, a recruitment process. Sure. So, of course, once we do that, you know, we've got to be able to vet the applicants and interview the applicants and onboard them and train them and so on and so forth. Uh, it's a big process, but if we're talking about just the initial recruitment part, I think that's key. But the thing I would say, Patrick, and you know this as well as anyone, mate, I mean, I've, I've listened to you talk, you're very knowledgeable on this stuff, but it's one thing to have a great applicant come through the door. We need another framework, which I call the magnetic job offer, so that as much as they're selling themselves to us, to us in the interview, we're also acknowledging in a discreet way that we're, we're pitching to them as well, but we're just doing it a little more subtly. We're not doing it as overtly. And so we'll be wanting to understand and test our assumptions about what they really want in their role, make sure that we can you know, acknowledge that we can meet those. And then we go through this particular structure and framework, which essentially says, you know, so as I understand it, Patrick, you're looking for a role that does, you know, X, Y, and Z. I'm pretty sure we can manage that. And we're looking for a person who can deliver A, B, and C. So assuming that we can agree on a compensation package, is this a role that you can see yourself in? And that magnetic job offer framework is really, really helpful to get those really good applicants over the line because good applicants have opportunities in abundance. And so our job is to make sure they come to us. Right. Yeah. That's some uh, great advice. I mean, I love it. One, profits. Uh, two time, three team, uh, all really brilliant. Anything else you want to share with our, our audience before you go, Doc? Well, I would say that there is an art and a science to building, not just a practice that you love, but a life that you love. And I, I really believe there's one thing to be successful. It's another thing to be fulfilled. So I think if you can get the blend of money and time and meaning in your life, I think that's what's going to create a rich and fulfilling life. And of course, we've spoken about money and time today. Meaning is the part that gives you know, purpose and value and legacy and all those sorts of things. I think if we get that right blend of things, then I think practice owners are on the path to a rich and rewarding life, not just a successful dental practice, but a really wonderful life as well. Sure. Doc, I really appreciate it. Um, Dr. Jesse Green, thank you so much for coming on today. Let me tell our audience real quickly your uh, website, Savvy Dentist.com is the best way to get in touch with you. That is the best way to find us. Yeah. Appreciate you coming on so much. Uh, Please come back. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. Did you know you can weigh in on today's topic on Facebook? Search The Dental Brief on Facebook or visit our website, dentalbrief.com, and just follow the link. We look forward to having you join us again on another episode of The Dental Brief.